Hey, and welcome to the Intensity Youth Podcast. My name is Kyle. I'm the pastor of Intensity Youth, and we exist to show the love of Jesus to the city of Ottawa and to be a generation unashamed of our identity as love sons and daughters of God. If you haven't yet done so, hit that subscribe button. We want to make sure you get all of these podcasts as soon as they come available. Well, this week, Natasha will be speaking on the topic of worship. And this is part three of our new series called Swipe Right. And over the course of this series, we've been just talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So without further ado, Natasha. I liked the mix of snaps and claps. That was new. That was new. Well, I grew up in a church that loved musical worship, okay? So at Intensity, we usually do about four songs. On a Sunday morning, we usually do about four songs. Church I grew up in did seven. Seven. And that was a fast one, okay? And usually our service time was from 10 to 12. Usually went until 1 o'clock. Yeah. And I remember looking around, and people would just kind of stand around, heads down, you know, arms crossed, and then their favorite song would come on and all broke out the arms. Right? Those hymns come out, and oh, those old people were like, yeah. (laughs) People were always crying at the altar during worship, and it made it seem like to me that that meant you were really worshiping God. If you are crying, you are worshiping. You know, you ain't crying, God ain't working. That's what it looked like to me on the outside. And we were always told, go home and have your own time of worship with Jesus. Go home, have that private time. And so I would go home, shut the door, turn the lights off, because apparently lighting an atmosphere make the spirit move. And then you turn on the music. Fast song first. Means nothing, but it gets you warm. Okay? You know, you dance around a little bit because that's how you did it in church. So that's how you have to do it at home. Like, you are alive in us. Nothing can. (laughs) And then, and then you get the real stuff, okay? You put on your favorite worship songs that make you bawl your eyes out. Because if you ain't crying, God ain't working. But, you know, first... First, you have to pray, transition well, mood setter, and then those favorite tear-jerking songs come on. And as you kneel before your bed, eyes closed, ugly crying, snot dripping, but take heart because the last song encourages you and tells you you're the best. Now, we're all laughing, right? We get this. That's not, at the core, real worship, okay? And it took me a year and a half of silence to realize that. So let me explain. I was reading my Bible one night, and I can't remember the book. I can't remember the verse. I don't rem- I've tried to find it, and I can't, okay? I, I did four years of Bible college studying the entire Bible, and I still can't find it. And those words, it was talking about going through a period of testing where God was putting you through testing. And those words just jumped out at me. And God said, for a year and a half, I'm going to be silent. Not because I don't love you, but because I'm going to test your faith to see how much you love me. 
It does your faith depend on your feelings? Is the core of your faith your feelings? And for a year and a half to the day, God was silent. Music was such a way that God spoke to me. Man, I'm a dancer. Music moves like reckless love comes on and oh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but nothing, no song meant a thing, couldn't hear God speak. And it forced me to ask myself this question, man, was Jesus really the main thing in my life? Was Jesus the thing I was passionate or was that music sparking it on? Was I worshiping the song or was I worshiping God? When God does nothing, will I still love him? Will I still get on my knees and say his name passionately even if I feel nothing? And that year and a half just flipped my faith. I remember going through this time being like, man, do I even have a relationship with you, Jesus? But I was basing my faith off my feelings. And I kept asking God, man, I just want to go back to how I was feeling before. And I remember God just saying, man, we're just starting to get deeper. And we're just starting to get to know each other better. And you want to go back to the surface? And in that year and a half, I learned what worship really is. Worship isn't a feeling. It's not a song. It's not divided between sacred and secular. Every song in the history of songs worships something. Worship isn't confined to a church building. Worship isn't just crying. And worship isn't about what God does for us. In fact, worship isn't about us at all. Worship is about who our God is. But we've twisted worship and we've made it about us. What we get from it and when we don't feel something or God doesn't do this big thing in our lives, which is not a bad thing because we need those moments with God. We need, you know, at fervor. We just went away on that retreat a couple weeks ago and God just transformed our lives and took them upside down. And those moments are huge. And I'm not saying they are wrong. I'm not saying crying is wrong. I'm not saying feeling something when a worship song comes on is wrong. But what I'm saying is we can't base, base our faith off of it, that it's more than that, that it's about who God is. And if all that other stuff disappeared, would we still look at him and say, God, I still love you, and I will still praise you? Our faith can't be rooted in it, because if it is, it means we just see Jesus as Savior, as come do this, do that for me, rescue me from this, intervene in this, make me feel this. And if he doesn't, he's failed in our eyes. But see, when God is Lord over your life, we surrender to him. And he can never fail because we know he's always working together for our good behind the scenes. And we trust him because of who he is, not what he does. Worship isn't about us. And if it is, we're actually worshiping ourselves instead of God. So here's the definition of worship. Worship is a response to who he is. Praise is boasting about what he's done. There's a difference. Worship is about God's character, not his deeds. Yet most of our worship songs talk about his deeds. We've become such consumers of worship. Oh, I hated that set list. Oh, I love that set list. This is too new. That's too old. Give me something new. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Man, Hillsong is making big bucks because we are consumers of worship. 
So here's my bottom line. If you get nothing out of what I say and you tune me out the rest of the time and you fall asleep, which I hope you don't, and I'll call you out just to let you know. But this is the bottom, bottom line. What do you bow to? What is your allegiance to? Do you bow to yourself? Is your allegiance to yourself? Do you give in to your desires and feelings and whatever brings pleasure to you? Do you bow to popularity? That you will do literally anything to people please and make people like you, even if it means sacrificing the things that you stand for. Is your allegiance to social media? Oh, yeah, we hit there. Is it that thing that takes up your entire thought life, that takes up all your time, that you will literally drop anything and everything to scroll through your feed, and you have to make sure you're checking your messages? You have to see what's going on in case it's about you, that it literally controls you. What is your allegiance to? God is saying, man, I want your first allegiance. I want you to surrender everything you have to me. I want you to just so gladly come under my lead. I want your entire life. And you may find that through this message, your view of worship is shattered. I know mine was. But don't be discouraged, because it's about to get a whole lot better, and we're going to discover the true meaning of what worship means and, and what Jesus taught about on it. We've done a really good job at complicating something that Jesus intended to be so simple. And so here's five truths about what worship is, okay? But let's first pray. God, I just thank you for how good you are. Man, tonight has just been so good already. And God, I pray you would just continue to speak to us. And God, I just pray that, that we would just really know what worship means and that our life would just be dedicated to worshiping you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, number one. This is a little bit of a tongue twister. I'll say it twice so all the note takers can get it down, which everyone should be taking notes. Number one, Bible-based, truth-rooted, Jesus at the core faith. Now I'll say it slow. Bible-based, truth-rooted, Jesus at the core faith. Right? That's what I said in my head as I came up with it. <laughs> we cannot worship an unknown God. Why do you think we are so on top of you guys about reading your Bible? Because when we get together and we sing songs, we actually want you guys to know who you're singing to. And when you pray, we actually want you guys to know who you're praying to. In Acts 17, 23, oh my gosh, this verse just stabbed me in the heart. Paul says, so he's in Athens, he's spreading the gospel, and he says to the people, just, just listen to every single one of these words, okay? For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar that said this, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Yo, ouch. If I was in Athens and Paul said that. And it made me think, I wonder what Paul would say of us. I wonder what Paul would say of intensity. The songs we sing, the prayers we say, the lives we live. 
Would your life have a sticker on it that says to an unknown God? Do you know who you worship? How do we learn about God? The Bible. And in fact, worship is a response to the word of God. When we hear preaching, when we read our Bible, it should just automatically want, it should make us want to worship. I remember sitting in a service. I was about 20 years old, first year Bible college. It was in a church in Toronto. And the preacher was just saying nonsense. And I was this first-year Bible college student studying God so intensely, and, and I was sitting there looking at this person like, what the heck are you saying right now? They were quoting scripture, and I'm like, that doesn't even say that. And they were talking about God in a way that he's not. He was making him out to be something that he's not. And all of a sudden, all these people who are listening to this sermon stand up and start worshiping a God that they just created, that that preacher just created. I was like, that is not the God of the Bible that you are saying. Don't be led astray. Know your stuff. Know your God. Know who you're worshiping. Know him. And we get this, write this one down. We need to make sure that we are worshiping God for who he says he is, not what we want him to be. We live in this society where I call it a buffet faith or a Starbucks faith, and this is kind of how it works. You know, at Starbucks, you say, a little, I want a little bit of almond milk, one shot espresso, two shots of vanilla, no whip, but add some cinnamon, okay? You can kind of pick and choose what you want. And we do the same thing with Jesus. Oh, you know, I really like all that stuff about love. Let's keep that. Um, but all the stuff about, like, making me sacrifice things, like, I'm just going to throw that part out. I don't really want that. And when we're doing that, we're not actually worshiping the God of the Bible, Number two, unified. A part of true worship is doing it together, one body. Yes, we need to worship God privately, but there is something so cool that happens when we gather together and worship God together. And you can't get that when you're by yourself at home. I've had some people come up to me and say they feel God asking them to stay home from church and that they're just going to do their own devos. And my response to them is God would never go against his own word. And the word of God says that we need to worship together. Bible says where two or more are gathered, there is my presence. Hebrews 25, 10, 25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the end times coming. God says that when we worship him together, it is pleasing to him. That there's something that we can get here when we worship together that we cannot get at home. This Christian life cannot be done by yourself. And so if you ever say, I feel God asking me to stop going to church, I'm going to call you out. There's need for church and there's a need for private devos. Here at Intensity, we're not about cliques. We're not about drama. We're not about racism and we're not about bullying. And when, if we are aware that there is a conflict happening, we shut it down faster than you can even tell us what it is. Why? Because the same thing happened in the Bible, and Paul was so quick to pray this prayer. He said, 
He prayed that God would give them a spirit of unity among themselves in order that they might engage in worshiping God together with one heart, one mouth, so they can glorify God. Unified, it matters. Number three, not about that Pharisee way. Not about that Pharisee way. So in the Bible, there's these people. They make me really angry, actually. And they're called the Pharisees, okay? They're the ones that walk around, and they're like, I'm so holy. Like, I'm so Christian. And when they're fasting, they, like, put on fasting clothes, and they make their face look all whitewashed. So they walk around, and people are like, oh, they're so Christian. They're fasting. And they're just, they think they're always right. They are so annoying. But Jesus showed up and called them all out. And they got angry, and for the rest of the Gospels, they plot Jesus' death. Okay? But that's another sermon. Worship isn't about empty religion, doing things just for the sake of doing them, doing them just because it's the way we've always done it, or doing it just to look like a good Christian. Worship at the core is about your heart. Check out this verse. Isaiah 29, 13 says, These people... They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. How many of us, you know, is this true in our lives when we're worshiping God on a Friday night? Their lips honor me, but their hearts are so far from me. Too much of our worship is ritual without reality, form without power, fun without fear of the Lord, and religion without God. I was 18, 19 years old, and I was, you know, same church. I'm never telling you guys the name of this church because I just make fun of them so much. <laughs> we were in this worship service, and same old, same old, the right song came on, and all the hands were lifted, and all of a sudden, Jesus was awesome, but when the wrong song was played, everyone looked like they were about to kill you, and I was just so frustrated. I was like, God, there has to be something more than this. And it was just what I said. It was religion without God. And I remember God giving me this, this picture in my head of Jesus knocking on the front doors of our church building. And Jesus was shouting, you're all saying my name in there, but you're not actually inviting me in. I was so shook. And from, <laughs> and from then on, I will never raise my hands unless I mean it. I will never sing unless I mean it wholeheartedly. And I will not worship God with empty religion just so I can look like a Christian. I don't want God to say of me, to say of intensity, to say of Woodvale, what he said in Amos 5:23. Away with the noise of your songs. I don't want to listen to your music anymore. And I want it to mean something. I want our words to mean something. That when we lift our hands and when we sing to Jesus, we actually mean it wholeheartedly. Not about that Pharisee way. Number four, call this one life. And I love, love, love this verse, okay? It's Romans 12, 1, and it's from the message version. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. What is worship? It's our life. 
It's how we live. It's how we treat our parents. It's what we do behind closed doors. It's our conversations. It's the things we stand for. It's how we dress. It's what we eat. It's working out to stay healthy. It's our talents, our skills. It's budgeting our finances. It's giving. It's serving. It's tithing. It's reading our Bible. It's prayer. It's life. And so I'm again going to ask you the question I first asked you. What is your allegiance to? What are you bowing to? Because worship is life, not just one aspect of it. You may worship God here on a Friday night, but as soon as you walk out that door, it's all about your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's all about social media. It's all about yourself. It's all about popularity. But see, when it comes to Jesus, and I love this, it's all or nothing. There, that fence, that middle line, that doesn't exist. You're either in or you're out. You either want all of Jesus or you don't. You're either going to obey the entire Bible, even the parts you don't like, or you're not. Worship is total and complete surrender. There's no holding something back. And it's going to mean maybe having to drop one of your sports. Yeah, I said it. Dropping your friends. Dropping that boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah. If you want my opinion, I'll give it to you. Deleting social media apps. I feel like some of you would cry if I deleted your Facebook or Instagram app. Snapchat. That's the big one. That's the big one. But here's, here's the thing. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. I don't ever buy the line, I don't have time to spend time with Jesus. I don't buy it. That doesn't work with me. Because here's the thing. We all have the same amount of time in a day. We all have 24 hours. So it's not a question of do I have time. It's a question of where the heck are your priorities? I won't actually drop it. <laughs> I got another story for you. So there's this really small church in Ajax, and a couple years ago, they just had this huge outburst of God. They had hundreds of people join this tiny church. Okay, I'm saying hundreds. That's a big deal for a 150-person church. They were having prayer nights three or four times a week, not because the pastor asked, but because the people would just show up and pray. And this all started when every person decided to make God a priority. And the pastor from that church was sharing this with us. And he said that this mom approached him and said, my kids have sports. We really want to come to prayer, but like sports. And usually our reaction is, yeah, man, sports are great. Get, like, get your kids into them. Like you have my blessing, Go. But sports can't take priority over God. Friends can't take priority over God. School cannot take priority over God. We always pray. We show up here and we pray for this big move of God that he would do something, that we would see miracles. And you know how we get that? When we put God first. Because here's the thing. He always wants to move. We just never give him the time to. Imagine what our lives could look like right now if we were putting God first. 
And yeah, maybe that means dropping some sports. Maybe that means settling for a B plus instead of an A plus. Oh, that one hit home. <laughs> maybe that means dropping those friends. And you guys might be thinking in your head, well, Pastor Natasha, that seems a little extreme. But extreme actions produce extreme results. You want to get serious with Jesus? You're going to take some serious actions. Who is your allegiance to? And we may think that once we give total allegiance to God, that life just gets perfect. No, in fact, you might have a lot of problems come to the surface because there's going to be a lot of people that hate that your allegiance is going to Jesus. Your coaches are going to get upset. Your teachers are going to get upset. Your friends are going to get upset. Your own family might get upset. Matthew 10, 34. Man, this just wipes out everything you think Jesus came to do. In this verse, Jesus himself is talking, and it says, listen so closely to all these words, okay? It just blew my mind when I was reading it this week. Do not think, okay, this is Jesus talking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Like, what? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be your own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not pick up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Can someone say, ouch? Those were not my words. That was not my opinion. That was Jesus' words himself. Jesus did come and he brought peace. He brought peace between us and God. But the direct, get this, okay? The direct result of Jesus coming to earth was a whole lot of conflict. People hated his guts. Everywhere he went, someone was plotting to kill this guy. He brought conflict between light and darkness, between Jesus and the enemy. See, when you give your first and all your allegiance to Jesus, a lot of people aren't going to like that, and it might be your own family. My own grandparents did not come to my wedding because I follow Jesus and I'm a pastor. They didn't come. They haven't talked to me for years. They won't call me. They won't even send me a Christmas card, not even an email. I emailed them a few years ago, nothing back. I'm not invited to anything in that family. I have a bunch of cousins who gave birth to a bunch of children, and I've never met them in my entire life because I pledge my allegiance to Jesus, and they don't like that. But find so much encouragement in this. When people hate you because you're following Jesus, you are doing something right. Because Jesus was hated, he was persecuted, he was rejected, and if things that were happening to him are happening to us, it means we're starting to look a little more like him. My allegiance isn't to my hobbies, to my sports, to my friends, to social media. My allegiance is to God and God alone, and I challenge you guys to make that same commitment tonight. And here's my last one, number five. Don't give God your leftover scraps. Don't give God 
your leftover scraps. I did this illustration when Kyle and I first got here, but that was two years ago, so I'm going to pull this one out again. I got candy. Okay, so this is what we do. Okay, this is going to be hard. So we say, yeah, God, I don't really have time this week. Like, maybe next week I'll praise you. God, like, I got bills to pay. God, like, I got school to pay for. I got pets I want. I want new shoes I want. Yeah, see, I really want to get into this college. Are you guys even listening to my words? I'm going to stop throwing candy if you're not. <laughs> I'm going to throw them on the ground. Listen to the words first, then reach for the candy. This is important. This is like the big illustration here. Gonna wait till you're quiet. See, I really wanna get into this university, so I don't have time to serve church because I gotta study for eight hours. That was a really hard throw. I'm sorry. <laughs> Starting to get feisty. Yeah, I really want those shoes. I'm not gonna tithe this week. And all of a sudden, all our priorities are just totally emptied. And then we got the last thing left, and it's like, well, God, like, I got to eat. This was a good one, too. And then this is what we do. This little half-eaten candy. We say, all right, God. This is what's left this month. Here you go. And we think that God is just going to run over and be like, oh, look, there's something left. No. Let me ask you a question. If you were having me and Pastor Kyle over to dinner, if you were having your favorite mentor, your favorite athlete, the person that you look up to most, would you feed them this? Would you feed your company half-eaten scraps? If you wouldn't feed your neighbors this, why would you give it to God? He deserves more than our leftovers. He deserves more than the last two minutes of our day when we're too tired to even keep our eyes open and we say this little prayer to just clear our conscience. He deserves more than, oh, look, I have five bucks left over this month. I guess I'll tithe it. Oh, but wait, I need $2 for lunch. He deserves way more than that. David said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God offerings that cost me nothing. If it costs you nothing, it means nothing. When Kyle and I get our paycheck, first thing we do is tithe. We don't pay the bills first. We don't pay our mortgage. 
We don't get groceries. We tithe. He gets the first of our money. I, my best time of day is nine to two. And so the first thing I do when I get into my office in the church is I do my devos and I give God my best hour. Me volunteering at the church comes before the job I do that gets paid. In fact, I've worked around my volunteering hours so I can volunteer first, get paid second. God gets priority. I'm not preaching something that I'm not living out. I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. But man, he's given us everything, all money, all time, all talents, all resources. So the very first thing we should do is give it back. But instead we say, hey, I got a little bit of scraps. Here you go, God. And we think that he takes glory and pride in that. Bible says a whole lot different. In fact, in Malachi, people were putting these blemished offerings. They were taking the worst of their crops, the worst of their animals, and saying, here you go, God. And you know what God said? He said, I would rather you shut the church doors than you give me this. Read it yourself. Malachi 2. God gets priority. He doesn't deserve our leftovers. He deserves our first, and it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. But it is so worth it. The journey with God is better than you can ever imagine, and it blows all your expectations out the window. Can I get the worship team back up? Can everybody stand? I want to read to you one more time that verse in Romans. And I've got a little take home for you guys today. The verse in Romans 12.1 says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And what we've done is we've posted a bunch of stories on our Intensity Instagram. And you can take a screenshot of them. And we've made graphics with this verse on it so you can make it your lock screen. So it's a daily reminder that, man, as I go through life, my ordinary life, when I sleep and when I eat and when I go to work, when I go to school, I'm going to place it before God as an offering. So we've got five up there after the service. Take that screenshot. But what I want to do right now is the definition of worship. Respond to who he is. Our God is so good. Our God has a lot of names in the Bible that describe his character. And here's just a few. I won't say the Hebrew name. I'm just going to say what it means. Lord God Almighty, the Most High, Lord. The Lord my banner, the Lord my shepherd, the Lord that heals, the Lord is there. The Lord our righteousness, the Lord who sanctifies, the everlasting God, the Lord who will provide, the Lord is peace, the Lord of hosts. Man, those are just like within a couple chapters. Our God is so good. And I want us to worship him not for what he does for us, 
but just because of who he is. And so why don't you guys just spread out? And let's not lift our hands because it's the Christian thing to do or start to pray because it's the Christian thing to do. But wholeheartedly worship God with no other motive but that we just love him and we want to honor him. Thanks again for listening to the Intensity Youth Podcast. One more time, if you haven't yet hit that subscribe button, do that as soon as possible so you can get all notifications on upcoming episodes. And we hope you got something from this podcast today. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Shalom in your home.